morning. How much time do I have, Andy, by the way? I'm aware it's 12, as long as I want. You guys, you guys ready? <laughs> You're brave, brother. You're brave. Well, um, I like that when it said Mike's preaching and it said cross-focus message. I hope every time I preach, it is a cross-focus message. But if you do have your Bibles with you, we are going to be... In John chapter 10, I've just loved uh, seeing and listening um, to all of the songs that have been sung, the Bible readings for communion, all of the things I feel like really dovetails so lovely into the passage that we have, the fact that we took communion, remembered Christ's death, and you'll remember His resurrection and all that the, that, that entails for us. And um, I love the way the Lord just moves and works amongst us. Especially when you're a visiting preacher, you're not quite sure what to preach in a church that you're visiting because you don't quite know the pastoral needs of every person in a church. And so you really just trust the Lord and go with whatever you're feeling. So um, we are, I'm going to just, yeah, we're going to look at one verse, but I'm going to read a bit of a chunk of it, and then we're going to see where the Lord takes us. So John chapter 10 and verse 7, and this is um, Jesus speaking, He says, Jesus said, um, again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is God's Word. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for its relevance in our lives today. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and reveal um, the goodness and the greatness of what You have done for us, Jesus, on the cross, that You came to give us life and life to the full. Father, I pray that You would... Open up our hearts to, to hear and understand and apply this truth to our lives. We ask this for our good. We ask this for the good of our city, but we ask this ultimately for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so good to be with you guys again. Um, I send greetings and love from Cornerstone. As Andy said, I was with them this morning and slipped out. And uh, it's just so lovely. I've been so encouraged by being with you guys. This morning, I must say, it's good to be in a different context sometimes and just to feel a different church. It's lovely to be with you. Um, we're one week away from Easter, from Easter weekend, uh, and what a great opportunity for us to remember that as darkness covered the land when Christ Jesus hung on a cross, taking upon Himself our sin, that as evil tried to flex its muscles when Jesus was buried in the tomb, uh, we get a chance to remember that light overcomes darkness, and that light broke through the darkness when Jesus rose from the grave. Amen? 
And so today I want us to have a look at and consider how you and I are able to have life in death. And I love that having life in death because it's an oxymoron. How can, someone, how can anyone have life in death? And, um, and so if I had to have a title for my sermon, if you are taking notes and you're like that kind of person, I would title my sermon, Life in Death. Anyone know who Steve Jobs is? Anyone know who Steve Jobs is? He was the Apple computer guy. Uh, he's unfortunately passed away. But I do remember a speech that he gave to a group of students, a group of, of uni students at one of the universities. You know, you get these things on your social media feeds and very encouraging and uplifting, etc., etc. And uh, he kind of spoke to these students about his upbringing. He was adopted as a child, what that meant for him. Um, he spoke to these students about his rise to corporate success. Uh, and then towards the end of his speech, he began to, to focus in on the reality of death as he reflected upon his cancer diagnosis. And he said this, he said, when I was 17, I read a quote that went something like this. If you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll certainly be right. <laughs> he said, this made an impression upon me. And since then, for the last 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning, asked myself, if today were the last day of your life, would you want to do what you are about to do today? And whenever the answer had been no for more than three days in a row, I knew that something needed to change. Remembering that I will be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make up the big choices in my life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment, all failure, these are, um, are all just fall away in the face of death. Uh, leaving what is truly important. He went on to then add, your time is limited. Don't waste your life. Um, don't live someone else's life. Live your own life. And, um, and now, I know Steve Jobs' words might be inspiring for us. Don't worry, I'm not preaching the gospel of Steve Jobs this morning. Uh, but although they might be inspiring for us, there is someone that is way more inspiring, way more life-giving than Steve Jobs, and that was Christ, that was Jesus. And Jesus said that the reason why He came, the reason why He was born, His purpose in life was to give us life, and they would, we would have life to the full. And as I kind of reflected on these words of Jesus, the one who came to give us life, and on the thoughts of a man who was living out his last days on earth, I'm confronted firstly with the reality of death. That is one thing that is for certain for every single person sitting on a chair in this room today, and that is death. We will all face it at some point in our lives. But also I was confronted with the thought of, well, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my time on this earth that I have left? Am I living a true life? Am I living a life of fulfillment? Am I living a life of significance? Or am I just really wasting away my life uh, one day at a time? All of the busyness of this world, is my life founded on genuine life and lasting significance? And so to help us to answer these questions today, we're going to give our attention to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 10. 
and we're going to focus on what Jesus says about life. Once again, if you are taking notes, this got two points today for our sermon, um, two things that I want us to have a look at. Firstly, we're going to look at the promise that we have from Jesus, the promise from Jesus. And second thing we're going to see is life in death. So firstly, the promise. Jesus says to us in verse 10 that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life, and that you may have it abundantly. In the original Greek language, there are many words to describe life. You know, in our English language, there is only one word for life, and that's life, right? And maybe the meaning of the word life changes depending upon the context that we find ourselves in and the way in which we use the word in a particular sentence. But in the Greek, they would have multiple different words to describe various aspects of life. Uh, one of those examples is of the word bios and the word zoe. And the word bios is the word where we get the word biological from. It's where physical life, where we get the word, where, where, where we, it gets used for physical life. Sorry, hope that's not out of tune. Um, speaks about our existence, whereas Zoe is different. Zoe is more than just existence. It's more than just bios. When the guys use the word Zoe to, um, to describe life, it has eternity attached to it. It has redemption language attached to it. In October last year, which just seems so far away as I wrote this, Esther and I were blessed with a five-day, half-board, adults-only hotel in Mallorca. Tell me if you've got small kids, that doesn't sound like heaven. <laughs> it was mid-twenties every day. You know, you could swim without being splashed. Uh, the food was superb. Um, there was no meltdowns. I didn't have to worry if anyone had vegetables on their plate and they weren't only eating beige food. It was amazing. And as we sat at the pool, overlooking the sea, reading a book, I mean, when you go on holiday and you've got small kids, who gets a chance to read a book? I was reading a book uh, and I turned to my wife, Esla, and I said to her, babe, this is the life. This is the life. Now, what did I mean when I said, this is the life? What I wasn't saying was that I was dead half an hour ago and now I'm alive. No, I was talking about a, a moment of satisfaction. I was talking about a moment of, of joy, a moment of, of pleasure. And now the question for us today um, is this, is that when Jesus said that He has come to give us life, which life do you think that Jesus was speaking about? You think He was saying, I've come to give you life, bios, biological life, or I've come to give you life, zoe. If you're wondering, it's the word zoe. Jesus did not come so that we would merely exist, that we would merely just breathe. Rather, His promise is that we would enjoy life, life that is rich in meaning, life that has depth of value, life that has significance in it. But there is a problem because whenever we hear the words abundant life, 
where do our minds automatically go to? We hear that word, we hear that language with a material or physical meaning is attached to it. So to help us to understand what abundant life is, I'm going to say firstly what it isn't. Abundant life is not a warm summer's day, sipping pina coladas with a good book, having a view of a beach with long, white, sandy shores with crystal clear waters. That is not the life that Jesus has come to give us. Jesus did not come to give us wealth and a few million TikTok followers. And the problem is with this version of abundant life is that for those that get there, those that reach that precipice that you would think, oh, if we could just get there, they would tell us that it doesn't live up to the hype which it promises. That the grass is not as green as you think it is on the other side. And I think that Jesus would say the same to us today. We could look at others and we could wish that we had their life because we aren't satisfied with the life that we have. And if only we could have something of what they've got. But Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, Be on your guard, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life should not consist of trying to accumulate stuff. The thing is, for us as human beings, that we are hardwired to think that stuff and experiences is what is going to fulfill and satisfy us. And so we chase from one thing to the next, never ever being fulfilled or satisfied, never finding life. And so what is the abundant life that Jesus spoke about? Well, there's no need for speculation, there's no need for wondering this morning, because a few chapters on, Jesus spells it out very clearly for us. Because right before His death, He says in chapter 17 of John, at verse 3, Now this is life, now this is Zoe, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. That's the answer for all of our searching for meaning, for our searching for significance in, their, in our lives according to, to Jesus. It's that we would know God and that we would know Christ whom God had sent. That is life. Isn't this good news for us as the church today? We don't have to go searching for it in all other places. It is Christ. He is our reward. He is the one in whom we have life. Jesus says that abundant life is found in knowing God. Francis Schaeffer, the American evangelical theologian, said this, Man is made in the image of God, and man has a purpose. His purpose is to be in relationship with God. He's just echoing that passage out of John. But the problem is, is that man forgets his purpose. And thus, he forgets who he is and what his life means. You see, it's possible for you and I to waste our lives. It's possible to forget about life's purpose and to discover that everything that we've worked for, in the end, is like the writer in Ecclesiastes says, is meaningless, void of 
significance, superficial, counting for nothing. But this Easter, Jesus wants to gift you and I and remind us of the life that we have in Him. And I know that many of us find it difficult to trust God at times. Some of us might even think that all that God wants to do is perhaps burden us with rules and regulations and things that we have to do and follow. But what if we have the story completely wrong? What if Jesus is actually telling us the truth today? What if Jesus, the one who has transformed the world that we're in now, actually knows what true life is all about? And so as we consider Jesus' promise, we're going to have a look at the second point, which is life in death. You see, this world is not as it should be. There is brokenness and death everywhere. I made the mistake this week of going onto the BBC News website, and the amount of greed and murder and hate that is in our world is staggering. Staggering. Death robs the lives of loved ones every day. I had a friend pass away from cancer this week. So hard. A couple of, two months. But this Easter... There is something that we need to consider. And that is, is that if Jesus was truly raised from the dead, could it be that the death that He defeated with His own life is the death that He can defeat in your and my life as well? And perhaps this promise of abundant life is not only for this age, but also one that we will carry into the age to come. You see, God has placed eternity on the hearts um, of all people, and it is Jesus who is the one who will get us there. And in the next chapter of John's gospel, there is this man named Lazarus. I'm sure many of you would know the story well. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus became sick, and he died, and we're told that whilst Jesus was approaching Lazarus' house, there was a woman named Martha. And Martha ran out as Jesus approached, and she ran out to Jesus, and she said these words to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. And I'm not sure if you've ever found yourself doing exactly what Martha said in this moment God, if you had just been here, we wouldn't be going through this mess. God, if you had just healed my friend, then he wouldn't have had to die. God, if you had just been here, then we wouldn't have had to go through all of this brokenness that I've experienced in my life. And even though Martha's tears are real, she says these words. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then what follows is the words of Jesus, which are some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I want us to hear that promise this morning. 
We see the significance of Jesus' words. See, Jesus is not blind to the pain of this world. He knew the curse of death, and yet He stands before Martha, and He stands before you and I today, and with authority of Almighty God, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who has the authority to raise my own body from the dead. And I have authority to raise yours as well. I have authority to gift you with the life of true meaning, a life of true significance in this age and in the age to come. Do we believe that Jesus uh, uh, um, has given us this? Do, amen. Do you trust this? Are you walking in this every day? Martha says, she replies to Jesus, she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God who has come into this world. And at this point in the story, Jesus goes over to the place where Lazarus is buried And he rolls away the stone that was covering up the tomb. And Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The Bible says, immediately the man who had died came out. And what I find so extraordinary about this moment is that Lazarus is not only a person being dead and come alive, but he's also a picture for you and I of um, or it, it, it is a picture um, of what is to come for all of us who are in Christ. That like Lazarus, the clothes of suffering, the clothes of death will in Jesus be exchanged for clothes of life. A new and a better life, a life where there will be no more death. You see, John, the writer of the book of Revelation and the one who wrote this gospel, gives us a picture of the life that is to come for all who are in Jesus. It's just for a moment, picture what John is writing about. He says these words, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And Paul, the apostle, in his letter to the church in Rome, said that all of creation is groaning as we await eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in this hope you and I saved. You see, life, this side of the cross, waiting for Christ's return, is a life full of brokenness and hurt and pain and sickness. But we have this promise in Jesus, which is why baptism is such a beautiful picture, such a prophetic promise of what awaits all people who are in Christ, that there will be a new day where our bodies will be made new, A day where we will walk in perfect health and complete fulfillment. There will be a day when the characteristics of 
Christ will be so real to us. But for now, yeah, we walk at times with anxiety. We walk at times in fear, at times with regret, times with concern. But there will one day be a day when we will walk in peace and joy and love and kindness because now we only see in part, but then we will see the fullness of God. And this is such good news for us. And it is a life that is available for every one of us here today. And so how do we respond to the good news of life in death? Well, firstly, I want to say to you today, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, I want you to know this, that you stand in the victory of Jesus' life from death. Don't get caught up trying to build your happiness in this world. Set your eyes rather on things that are above. No matter what discouragement, no matter what disappointment comes your way, I want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up on the promises from God. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on yourself. Please never give up on God. God is good. He is good to His Word. God is faithful. He is loving and He is true. And that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. Just for a moment, think about that. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in you. And God says to you now, go and pour out your life like a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to Him. Do that with the days that you have left, and you will not waste your life. Give yourself to serve others. Be generous and declare the good news of Jesus. Do this and you won't waste your life. We only have one life to live it. Take the opportunity of these days and live for Christ alone. Secondly, for those of you that aren't believers today, you're not a Christian, you're becoming along, a friend has brought you along you're exploring what it means to, to follow Jesus. I want to say to you today, Jesus rose from the dead. You guys are going to celebrate that next week, next Sunday. But Jesus says to you today, follow me. He says to you that He is the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believes in Him, though you physically die, yet shall you live. Do you long to walk in true life today? Do you long to know what true joy and peace and forgiveness and the love of Christ is? Then this morning I want to say to you, put your trust in Jesus. Jesus is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. Jesus has victory over the grave, and there is no other name by which you are able to be saved other than the name of Jesus. And so He is calling you today to follow Him. He's not calling you to be a perfect person. He's not calling you to a bunch of rules and religious obligations. He's calling you to follow Him. Follow Him with all of your messiness and your brokenness of your life. And the promise of heaven 
to you today is that salvation does not rest on your faith, but on the object of your faith. It rests on Jesus and what He has done for you. And so if you will believe in Jesus on this day and release your grip on this world and trust God, then you will have life in this age and in the age to come. And if you want to know more about what that means, chat with the person that brought you along today. You're welcome to come and chat with me afterwards or chat with Andy or any of the people here. I'm going to pray for us and the band can come up and then we're going to land. Father, I thank you for this truth, this promise that we have, that we as your children are able to have life in your death. You died to give us life. We have the promise to us, Lord God, and I pray for each one of us that as we take our, our eyes off of all of these things that distract us in this world, all these things that want to draw our attention away and distract us from you, from your holiness and your goodness and your glory, I pray, Father, that this morning we afresh put our eyes firmly and squarely upon you, Jesus, and upon your sacrifice. Thank you that in you we have life. You came to give us life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen.